and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK, and with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Clara Delmar. Joining me today is Jane Simpson. A continence nurse specialist, Jane has run a private practice at the London Clinic in Harley Street for over 22 years, where she treats men and women, young and old, with all forms of incontinence and pelvic floor dysfunction. She's the author of the Pelvic Floor Bible, published in 2019, a best-selling guide to improving and maintaining pelvic health, and is a member of the Pelvic Floor Society, the Association for Continence Advice, the International Continence Society, the British Association of Urological Nurses, and the Association of Coloproctology of Great Britain and Ireland. As you can see, Jane knows all things continence, and she's here with me today to talk about what men with prostate cancer need to know about it. Jane, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Claire. It's a great privilege to be on this uh, podcast with you. Well, you're such a specialist in this area that you know we all know is taboo, but this is something you literally live and breathe, and you've seen so many people go through. Uh, maybe you can start by telling me what your experience as a pelvic health specialist with men diagnosed or recovering from prostate cancer has been? So, as you said, I've been working in this field for over 22 years, uh, largely at the London Clinic. And originally, when we started caring for men with prostate cancer, all of the uh, surgery was open surgery, mm -hmm. which required a lot longer in hospital. And we've moved on hugely since then doing uh, robotic radical prostatectomy, sometimes radiotherapy, HIFU, and various other types of treatment and men have never had incontinence in their lives. It's a completely new and very frightening um, experience for them. Mm. So I was on a learning curve at the beginning because largely my practice was female, but over the last 22 years, I've looked after thousands and thousands of men who've been treated for all types of prostate disease, not just prostate cancer, mm -hmm. uh, with pelvic floor issues. And largely that's stress incontinence. Mm -hmm. uh, which happens when you cough, sneeze, laugh. And it mostly was women who had stress incontinence after having babies. Mm -hmm. And so for men to suddenly have these problems was quite shocking for them and, and a learning curve for me at the beginning. But clearly I now have um, a lot of experience and men are frightened by it. It's yeah. a, a brave new world to suddenly find you, uh, you know, have to wear a pad or an appy and um, you can't control your your bladder, which you've always done your entire life. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think it's really important area, which is still under talked about unless you suddenly find yourself in that position. Yeah. We're yeah. very lucky to also now have good charities support and um, good medical support in giving you the options for treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are the most common challenges for, for these men? Without question of a doubt, it has to be erectile dysfunction and stress incontinence. And I think also family life. Mm -hmm. uh, men have gone through their lives, you know, controlling their bladder, as I just said, and yeah. you know, being able to get an erection when they felt like it. And to suddenly find that those two things might be not working is very frightening for them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and very challenging. And I think that continence is a bigger deal for them. I actually saw a guy couple of weeks ago um, who was quite young and un, not married yet he, he was looking for a, a partner in life and mm -hmm. he was I would have thought that erectile dysfunction was more important to him but 
his continence was much more important to him. Mm. And a lot of a lot of guys um, will tell me, uh, well, I'm not really worried about erectile dysfunction until I have my continence back. So it is an extremely important thing for men to have a problem with. I think both things are important. And family life clearly is part of that because controlling your bladder and being able to have a, a happy sex life are very important in family life and in work life too. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about going back to the office wearing a pad that might leak and wet your trousers is mm-hmm. is something that men are, you know, women have had periods and pads and babies and we've dealt with that through our lives but Indeed. for men it's a very brave new world no a nice way to put it actually i mean do, do you think that men fully understand what incontinence means when they're considering treatment options for prostate cancer i'm not sure that they do and and actually there were the urology foundation did a little study a couple of years ago and they found that two-thirds of the british public didn't really know where or what the prostate gland was yeah. Never mind what would happen to you when you were thinking about treatments for the prostate gland. Mm-hmm. And you go along and you have a PSA test and suddenly you find you have prostate cancer. And I think that the, the cancer part of it clearly at the beginning is got to be the most important yeah, absolutely. Um, issue. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you start then unraveling it and deciding what treatment you're going to have that you start thinking about things like incontinence. What's very good is over the last possibly... 10 to 15 years, we have started seeing men before the operation and Mm -hmm. actually trying to make sure they really do understand, understand what the pelvic floor is. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a hammock of muscles that is attached to the pubic bone at the front and your coccyx at the back and sort of to the two bones that we sit on side to side. It's a hammock of muscles, which in men works perfectly well to help with erection functions and also keeping us continent, stopping us passing wind when we're um, out and about. And normally it works perfectly well for men. And so we, I try to explain to them, you know, what their pelvic floor is and what the incontinence is. And I think men sort of often think they'll just sort of be totally incontinent and leak everywhere which isn't true it, it yeah. happens when you cough when you sneeze yeah yeah, um, yeah. when you um, move about and I mm-hmm. had a guy who was he loved tennis and so he was thinking to himself well I've had the operation Jane's told me to do my pelvic floor exercises I'm fit and healthy uh, you know he started playing tennis and he came back to see me and he was like well I don't understand it I'm not better why aren't I better and I said well what have you been doing and you know, he was good at tennis. He, mm. he, you know, he played at a relatively high level. Mm-hmm. And clearly he hadn't thought, gosh, all that j- jumping up and down playing tennis was putting a great stress on his pelvic floor. So even though he knew that stress incontinence was, you know, a downward pressure on the pelvic floor, mm-hmm. a weakness of the muscles postoperatively, he'd still gone off and played a lot of tennis. He mm. stopped the tennis and got better. Mm. So I think... It's one of those things that I think in general we put to the back of our minds because we think it won't happen to us. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, it clearly doesn't happen to a lot of men um, ongoingly. You know, it happens to quite a lot of guys in the short term mm. while the muscle recovers and, you know, bruising goes down. It's like having a broken leg. The problem is you can't see it because it's inside the body. Yeah. yeah. Your pelvic floor is neatly tucked away in your underpants. You know, it's not like a great big gash on your leg. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
you don't sort of worry about it too much, but it clearly, even if you don't have any incontinence after the operation, you must, must do your pelvic floor exercises. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, do you, so, do you think that that is something that has to do with the language, you know, that the language and communication around incontinence possibly inhibits understanding and acceptance? Do you think that's part of the challenge? Yes, I do. And, you know, when I talk to men who've had the operation, they talk about wearing nappies, that they've never leaked urine before. It's often seen as a very female-centered problem. If you look, you know, on the television, there's lots of little adverts for tenor lady, but you never see adverts for mm. men. And actually, I'm going to just, at this note, read you a very short quote from a patient of mine mm-hmm. who I think sums up this question very well. He says, my prostate first made its presence uh, felt during my mid-50s when having a wee ceased to be what it was. What had always been a powerful jet dwindled to a mere trickle and three or four effortless tries were needed before my bladder felt empty. Like most men, when things go wrong below the belt, I was overcome with squeamish embarrassment and told no one. Mm. He actually ended up having surgery and a radical prostatectomy. Mm. Um, Having never experienced incontinence in my life, it was the last thing I expected. What I had was stress incontinence. As long as I sat down or lay down without moving, it was fine. But any kind of exertion or anxiety set it off. He says female stress incontinence is discussed quite openly, even with jolly little TV ads. But nothing is ever said about the male Mm. version. Oh, we find this all the time. And I think that sums up about communication to do with men and incontinence. Indeed. It is, yeah. is, is with women, I think, particularly with things like Instagram and Facebook groups to do with menopause, to do with women's health. I'm part of that world and it's there all the time. And I quite often do a little Instagram for men and I never really get a lot of response back from that. And I, I think it's still a difficult subject for men mm. to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly I talk about it all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm rather unusual in that yeah. department. So, yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, it's, it's, I mean, language and communication can, you gave a really good example there, but it extends even deeper and more, I think, pervasively into our lives. And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about before mm. is even something as prevalent as public toilets, or should I say but not prevalent because so many of them are closed. Yeah. It can really inhibit the behavior of men. I mean, obviously in women, but we're talking about men here who suffer from incontinence and really, really impact their lives in a negative way. It actually does. And bizarrely, this morning, I had to dash off with my husband to take our car as it's just random, but it's gone to Autoglass to have a chip, a new windscreen. And I had to take him because the guy rings up, says it's going to take three hours to do this job. You can't wait in the waiting room. It's closed. Mm. And so are the lavatories. So mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Know, if you were a man who had no choice but to sort of hang about outside, it's mm-hmm. cold, then <laughs> Autoglass have closed their leaves. I and mean, we shouldn't quote, maybe should not say autoglass but that's not their fault it's with the covid restrictions exactly i think that's true of most businesses Mm -hmm. and you know clearly my husband actually doesn't have a worry about that but if if he did he he was like you know abandoned there for three hours yeah i think that sort of public lose um for men they don't ever think about it before they've had this particular exactly and suddenly it becomes actually quite important and interestingly I've had a lot of conversations with guys about the fact that male loos, you know, don't have 
bins in them. If you go into a ladies' loo, mm-hmm. there's a sanitary bin to put your sanitary towel in mm-hmm. um, or your tampon or whatever. But if you go into a man's loo, there is no bin. So if mm. you've got a wet pad, mm. you've got to put it in your jacket pocket. Mm. You know, they don't mm. carry handbags. Exactly. Um, largely. And so they are left with this thing. Yeah. What do they do with it? And that actually is a, it is a deal. And I think even if they can find a loo that's open, you know, men's loos are urinals with with then some cubicles. So they'll go to the cubicle and then realize, oh, my God, yeah. what am I going to do with this pad? Because there's yeah. nowhere to put it. It is yeah, very subtle. Little things like that, which exactly. are actually rather alarming and, and meaningful. And change, you know, is is needed in that area, I think. In, yeah, in, in I mean, men's, I think- men's public loos. Absolutely. I mean, I, um, we see this all the time and it, it seems to be going backwards at the moment. But, um, you know, that's why it's interesting yeah. to kind of lobby for this and to cite, you know, men with prostate disease. But I think the other issue around communication that's so interesting is as men are even considering treatment, you know, and whether they choose, you know, less invasive treatment like what we offer or, you know, radical treatment, that they need to understand what incontinence would mean should they choose a treatment that might bring that on them more severely. And I think that's that that we find a lot of men are just aren't in a position to really understand that. I think so. And I think, you know, the cancer diagnosis is a huge shock to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're just told, well, this is the option for you, you hope that men are given all the options. Um, mm-hmm. I think with the increased use of the internet, and I, I'm always fearful of the word Dr. Google and that we must be careful about how we use that information because there's a lot of disinformation out there. Mm-hmm. However, there is good information in places like uh, the Urology Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, the Prostate Cancer Charities, Movember um, Movements and things like that, which you know actually give good evidence-based information for mm-hmm. men which mm-hmm. before I mean what would you have done gone to the library and read you know exactly. Grey's Anatomy I mean there wasn't at least we we are moving forward in our communication and, and understanding and you know for us as medical practitioners that in itself is challenging because obviously guys come and tell us well I've read about this and that what do you think of it and mm-hmm. so it makes sure that we are at the top of our game too because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you need to know what's happening and hopefully clearly we do what, what would you do to improve the situation? You've been doing this for 22 years. You've <laughs> written a book. You've, yeah, yeah. you've seen so much. You've, you've seen, you've you know, engaged with men both on their emotional side and their mental side and their physical side. H- how would you improve the situation? So I think you know, starting with my book, my pelvic floor Bible, when I wrote it, the Penguin editors were a bit surprised that I wanted to include a chapter for men in it. And I absolutely insisted, I said, I'm not writing this book without including men, because clearly men have problems with incontinence and pelvic floor dysfunction, whether that's either erectile dysfunction or stress incontinence or other types of incontinence. In fact, the overactive bladder, mm-hmm. um, when you can't get to the loo in time, and you have your own reurgency, um, largely stress incontinence, which affects men post radical prostatectomy or prostate surgery. So clearly I try to see them all before any form of treatment and explain what the pelvic floor is, how it works, how it will be affected by the treatment that they have. And I teach them pelvic floor exercises. I think pelvic floor exercises taught before treatment. There's lots of research now to tell us that that 
is beneficial mm-hmm. post-treatment. It certainly wasn't something that we were doing 20 years ago, but uh, clearly there's lots of evidence to say that men with a healthy pelvic floor, if they understand how it works, will have a better light bulb moment of making it work again when they've had whatever treatment it is. Mm-hmm. If stress incontinence isn't improved with just pelvic floor exercises, I do sometimes use electrical stimulation um, dependent on the treatment they've had and the level of disease they have. This sometimes is contraindicated, but there are sort of pairs of shorts you can put on called Innovo. There is stimulation machines that you can buy that um, help to improve pelvic floor tone. And I think lifestyle is hugely important. And I'm really hot on this before treatment. So whether that's weight whether it's constipation, because bowels clearly are part of the pelvic floor and can definitely affect it, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's what they're drinking and getting fit as possible prior to the treatment. And I think if you maximize lifestyle, understand how your pelvic floor works and then uh, look after it properly afterwards, it will reap rewards. And I also talk to them clearly about the correct type of pads to wear in the short term post Uh, treatment because I think if you come out of the operation you need to have the kit to hand um, Mm. so that you are totally prepared and then you will actually feel better and recover better Mm -hmm. if you have good evidence-based knowledge and information about how to care for yourself. Well Jane it's been really interesting and you know again it's it's lovely to talk to somebody who is so evidence-based about a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about so Thanks so much for joining me today and speaking about this. Um, It's been a real pleasure. It's been a great pleasure, Claire. And, um, you know, it's my passion in life, uh, caring for people with uh, urinary problems and uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. It's still very underreported and undertreated. And uh, any uh, raising of awareness we can do gladdens my heart. (laughs) Indeed. So thank you. Thank you. Further information on Jane Simpson, her practice and her book is on our website along with the transcript of this interview and additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And from me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.